Wow, thanks so much for having me. Uh, I just got to say thank you so much to Shay. Uh, brother, man, what you're doing here is super impressive. Uh, I got to say this, uh, even the people who know you the best who I've even met in the past, man, they speak so highly of you and of this church and all of you. And so, man, that is true. You guys, all of us in here, you are breaking a lot of the first year trends of churches. And so, man, I just got to give you, so come on, give it up for Shay, my man. Uh, so I'm, I'm excited. Uh, we're brothers now. I followed you on Instagram, so it'll be boys on IG. Follow for follow. It'll be good. But uh, So very excited. Thanks so much for be, uh, inviting me. It's, I'm honored, very humbled to be up here, uh, even just to be sharing any part of my story, my journey of, of what I believe is God is speaking up here today. But just kind of a little bit of me and my, my background. Um, I actually... Um, Never anticipated being a communicator or being a teacher or even being a pastor. Um, as Shay said, I, I work at Kensington Church. I've worked there on staff for about five years, uh, for about three years. Uh, I was working with uh, the Troy campus with high school ministry. The past year and a half, um, I have been working with young adults uh, and I'm part of the weekend teaching team. And so that's just been a huge honor and delight for me. Uh, but I actually gave my life to Jesus when I was in, uh, 14, when I was a freshman in high school. My mom forced me to go to youth group. Uh, so shout out to all the moms, forcing your kids, it works. Uh, one day you'll be on stage with skinny jeans and uh, elvish pastor boots and uh, just speaking God's word. So it's going to happen, I promise. Uh, but so, so shout out to you moms. But that was 14, when I was 14 years old. And uh, the way it kind of actually happened, kind of fun story, uh, background. Um, I was like kind of in this big you know, rally for young people or whatever, and there was some really trendy pastor, probably a lot like Shay, and uh, he was talking, and, and I, I felt like my soul was stern, and he, he gets into his whispering pastor voice, you know, this when he's like, and you know, some of you in here today, uh, God is stern in your life, and he wants you to say, I want the cross, and I was like, oh man, I need to do this so bad right now, and so, and you had to stand up, and so everyone in the, in the stadium is standing up saying, I want the cross, and so finally I just go, when I stand up, I go, I want the cross, you know. And I have an identical twin brother. His name is David. Now, at the exact same moment I stand up and say, I want the cross, he stands up and says, I want the cross. I'm like, boy, I can't even have my own salvation up here. Are you kidding me? <laughs> the worst thing I, I would say about being a twin, though, is, uh, so his name is David. My name is Drew. Uh, our last name was Daniels. And people always come up to, to me, and they're just like, wait, so are you like, are you David or Daniel? I'm like, oh, for two. So next time, you'll get it right. But uh, so that's a little bit of my journey. Uh, but uh, today we're in a series, as she, she mentioned, the first week, it's called Fear Not. And looking at kind of uh, this idea that so many of us have fear or things that we're kind of hung up on. And, and just to be transparent to go first, uh, I would say probably one of the biggest fears I have right now is as a communicator, uh, I feel the weight and responsibility of a lot of my words uh, with so many people. Um, and I think I'm more afraid uh, now that I am uh, com communicating um, and helping lead people now because I realize that my words shape other people's worlds and that so many people, maybe their view or expectation of God is formed through what I say. You know, I don't want to get up here today and give you a ton of hope, you know, like, well, well God says in, in the scriptures to, to fear not. And so just don't fear anymore. And, and you know, God's going to come through in your life and he's going to bless you. And I think like, that's great. And it, and it can even feel for some of us like it's a cliche. And, but I realize like, I don't, it's, it's, it can be a lot of responsibility and weight. So I have a lot of fear when it comes to just that overlying pressure that I can put on myself or that I maybe feel like God has for me, even though I know he's, he's my loving father, but I, you know, you still kind of fear, uh, you know, have that. But if, if you're like me, I think many of us, we have a fear or we have big fears specifically for maybe what God is calling us into 
in our lives, the plans that God has for us. Some of us, maybe these uh, fears are a little bit uh, more irrational. I would say that for some of us, we don't want to have this conversation with God. We don't want to go to him and say, you know, God, I just give you my life, my plans, my future, just whatever you want to do. And he's like, go to the rice paddy fields of Bangladesh. There you shall serve my people. You're like, ah, like, I don't know. Or... If you're in the house and you're single, this is your greatest fear. You're afraid that God is going to ask you to, or call you to marry someone you're not attracted to. And so you're going to be like, you know, God, he's just a really great guy, you know. Um, and he has personality. Yeah, he's a piece of work. Menship, created to do good things in your name. Um, you love him. You love him. You think he's, you know. Uh, but, uh, but, but if you're like me, I mean, there, it's not just kind of these maybe more ra- silly, whatever, irrational fears, but we're actually afraid to like, give God our plans because we just don't know like, what he's going to ask, what he's going like, to require of us. And um, you know what's actually interesting, though? I, I, I heard about this, and you may, maybe can check it out. There was one study that was done that said 85% of what we worry about actually never happens. Only 15% of the things that we worry about really happen to us. The other 85% are, is a lot of our day-to-day worries because maybe we have an underlying root fear of like, you know, if I don't perform well at my job, I'm going to get fired. And so you do all of these things out of worry of maybe not getting promoted and all these things, and, uh, you know, or, or getting fired per se. And, and that's not going to happen. Like 85% of which is, is not going to happen. And so for so many of us, uh, meaning that some of the worries that we have about God's plan, it's not we're actually worried about what uh, God uh, will do or could do. It's not the same thing as what God will do in our lives. And so many of us, we are afraid of what God could potentially ask that actually keeps us paralyzed in inactivity. I love how Craig Rochelle says it. He says, uh, fear is not the absence of faith, but faith that is placed in the wrong direction. A lot of times we think that faith is, uh, uh, or, or fear is the absence of having faith, but rather it's having faith in the worst case scenario and the outcome that is going to happen. Uh, and here's something that I would ask all of us. Has there ever been a time in your life where you have been able to properly look backwards and predict God's plan for your life. Okay, okay. So, okay, so no one's ever looked back and been like, oh, you know, I thought my timeline was going to look this way. I got promoted in this, you know, three years. I had kids here. I got married here. Like, none of us are able to look backwards on the plan that maybe we believe God has for our lives and accurately predict it. And so when we look to our future, Yeah, maybe we should be a little bit intimidated by our future because we know that God always interrupts our plans, come on, with his purposes. Is that God always interrupts our plans for his purposes, that God's purpose many times is different from our plans. So maybe we should fear it because he constantly interrupts them. Um, He asks us to, to change jobs, to sell the house, to love this people group. I mean, God, he is unpredictable in what he's asking us to do. And so many times that interruption, it feels uncomfortable because maybe we're not used to actually laying down our lives. And, you know, so that's why we are afraid of going to the rice paddy fields of Bangladesh. And so we're actually going to look at a story uh, throughout the series about how God interrupts people's lives specifically with angels. And we're going to start with Mary because it's the Christmas season. And this is going to take place in the the New Testament. And there's a document and a book that's called uh, the Gospel of Luke. Now, if you are a skeptic in the room or you're not sure where you stand with 
with the Bible, you might really like Luke because Luke, he wrote his gospel um, for a guy whose name was Theophilus. And Theophilus inquired upon Luke because he was a doctor, he's a physician. And he says, can you please go thoroughly investigate the claims about Jesus? People are saying that he rose from death. And uh, if I'm honest in here, you know, if Jesus rose from death and he predicted that um, and he pulls it off, you know, I'm gonna trust whatever that guy says. And so he asked Luke to be able to investigate these things. So Luke does thorough research. And so if you are an investigator and you want to know where to stand, you might really love reading Luke's gospel. So uh, this is where our story begins. It says this, now God um, sent uh, the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. And of course, uh, this last kind of phrase that he was the descendant of King David is very important because in the Old Testament, uh, there was a promised Messiah or a promised anointed one who would come and save Israel, who would be the deliverer of the, of the nation and hopefully of the world. And the, the promise was that they would be a descendant of the famous King David uh, in Israel's history. And so Joseph being named in that lineage is really key. So next verse, it says uh, that Gabriel appeared to her and said, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. And Mary, you might think like, I, I talked to one of my buddies and I was like, what's one thing you want more in your life? And he's like, bro, I just really want to see an angel. Like that would be, but it's interesting because when it actually happens, people are freaked out because so many of us, we think of angels as big, you know, babies with harps, uh, but really like they're ferocious warrior creatures, celestial beings who see the, the God in all of his glory and worship him day and night and say, holy, holy, holy as the Lord God almighty. And they see him. And so when they come, angels are always on assignment from God. So angels have an assignment, and so when they interrupt their li uh, someone's life, they're going to give them a purpose. It's from God that might be different from their plans. And so the angel says, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. And she becomes confused and disturbed by the interruption from the angel. And Mary tried to think what this angel uh, could possibly mean. And um, the angel says this, don't be afraid. Fear not, it says in uh, the King James Version. So uh, fear, fear, it says this, uh, yeah, don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God, or fear not. And actually, this angel begins to tell Mary about the purpose. It says this um, in chapter, uh, or verse 31, it says, uh, and you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever, and his kingdom will never end. So Mary asked the angel, hold on, but how can this happen? I am still a virgin. How is this going to happen? Now, in Mary's day, um, if you are uh, having a child out of wedlock, that could mean stone stoning to death because it wouldn't have fallen in, in line with the Old Testament uh, covenant of not, you know, not committing adultery. And so this was a risky plan. If you think about Mary, she's probably in the stage. Um, many scholars believe that she was probably 14, 15, 16 years old. Uh, shortly after a girl, a girl kind of uh, goes into adolescence, they get promised or betrothed to be married. So if you're Mary, she has a ton of plans that she's beginning to dream about. You know, in her day, if we translate this to a modern sense, she's probably has her, you know, her Pinterest board and, uh, <laughs> You know, she's probably like, you know, Hagar's going to bring the Kylie Leonard Jenner lip kit for all the girls. And, you know, we're going to have the palette boards. And she's probably excited writing Mary and Joseph in cursive. And, uh, you know, dreaming of her first kid's name, Belteshazzar, you know, I don't know. And, uh, but all of a sudden now her plans get interrupted. And actually now there is this fear of death after being told, oh, by the way, just don't fear. 
So now she's like, well, I mean, you can imagine some of the surprise or the, the thinking that's going on. Well, how am I going to conceal this? How am I going to make sure nobody else kind of finds out and sees this and identifies this? And additionally, she's like, I'm a virgin. Everyone knows that I've never slept with anyone and I, you know, I could die. And can you imagine what this conversation with Joseph is going to look like? Okay. Uh, uh, Joey, um, how long are you sitting down? Are you just, uh, okay. Um, so you're not going to believe this. I mean, you can check my phone. I've been, I have been texting nobody, you know. Uh, like, this is the conversation she's probably got to have with her husband, Joseph. And we know a little bit about Mary's story after this. She goes and visits her cousin, Elizabeth. And, um, but, uh, but how much hiding and how much fear and how much kind of sneaking around the corners does she have to do or worry? Or what, what if the question starts to rise? Well, what if God actually doesn't use this child? Did I really see what I saw? I mean, many of us, I think we have God moments so powerfully in our life, but we don't actually believe. We, we look backwards and go, hold on, was that really God? And I wonder if even in the most supernatural ways, much like all of the people who witnessed the supernatural miracles of Jesus still did not believe in him. I wonder if some of, us, some of us are a little bit like Mary where we saw God's activity so powerfully and then we begin to doubt it over time. I'm wondering if that's maybe something that could have happened to Mary because here's what happens is that God's interruptions are always inconvenient for our plans in life. We believe we kind of have this future that we're excited about and hoping for, but yet maybe God seems to interrupt it with his plan. And my, my, my wonder and my belief is that many of us probably in this room have an interruption somewhere in our life that we are still hung up on in some way. That there has been an interruption. Now, I want to clarify here for just one moment. I don't believe that every single interruption, whether it's a loss of a loved one or a loss of a job or something that's tragic happened, I am not here to claim that every single interruption, of course, is from God. I do believe that because we are a part of a broken, fallen world where God has given us the element of choice, that we can sin and we are part of that. Uh, I love how Andy Stanley says this. He says that sin is always prepackaged with consequences. So many times in our lives, a product of the interruptions of what we don't expect is just a product of what happens in life. Other times, I believe in John 10, 10, as Jesus says, that the enemy has come to ki uh, kill, steal, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. And so for other times, I believe the enemy of our soul will steal away life and destroy it and, uh, and try, uh, try to distract us from intimacy with God and, and loving other people. And so I don't want to say this, but I will say that whether uh, an interruption that was from God for his purposes or a life interruption or so, a way that maybe the enemy uh, of our souls interrupted us, I would say that there's an interruption in, in our lives or your life that we are hung up on. Maybe it was a faith crisis. Maybe it was a financial devastation in 2008 and 9. Maybe for you it was a child uh, in, in the way that maybe they have a, a depression or some sort of uh, medical uh, illness that is just seems to be s such a big deal in your life. That there's some sort of interruption that we seem to be hung up on. And we're constantly like looking back to the past and, and, and maybe back to a season of life when we were so close with God. Or we're looking to a season we go, like, God, I, I want this kind of thing back um, in my life. And um, actually, uh, for me, I would say the biggest interruption, and whether I don't, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm unsure of whether or not this is actually from God, but um, uh, kind of finishing off my story. But when I was uh, 14 years old, I, you know, I, I wanted to give my life to Jesus. And so I was a really proud high school kid. You know, I never, I never drank or I didn't want to date because um, my parents, they got divorced when I was 10 years old. And so I wanted to do things right and not be like my parents and have this perfect marriage and like do everything right. And I was going to love Jesus and I was going to be so close to God and I was going to get to this place with him. And so that, that started in high school and uh, I was probably really critical. I, I, probably. I was very critical 
and, and judgmental back when, especially in high school and, and in early college. And so then I went to uh, Michigan State, uh, God's University, and um, uh, when I went there, I, I really felt like I, um, I, I really felt like I met uh, Jesus in a more loving and grace-filled way. And so then I, I felt like I was very close to him. And then I started hanging out with kind of a group of people who were very passionate. They had this very emotion, passionate Christianity that I wanted. Because they seemed so close to God. They seemed to hear everything from him all the time. And so I would just live my life in, in you know, constant prayer and fast and fasting and doing all these things because I just had to be a super Christian. I had to be just unbelievably zealous. I'd be sharing my faith. I'd be the guy who just constantly, like every single little tiny thing that happened in my life, like it all had this purpose. Everything was just aligned in this big plan that God had had for me in the season. And, and I kind of, I mean, I just really in, embraced that, you know, side of me. And, and you know, as you do um, a lot of, a lot of times, and maybe you know this, but when you're really in a, a very emotional stage of your faith, the emotion wears off. Um, the novelty, the newness of it all kind of goes down. And that's what happened to me. And so as my senior year of college, I took four um, critical Bible courses. Now, a critical Bible course is where it studies the Bible objectively, kind of removing the belief from, of, uh, of believing in God of, of the Bible or Jesus. It removes that whole portion of it, and it studies the Bible as if um, you know, it was just written by people as if it was just kind of this natural thing that happened. And I began to kind of learn the Bible through this lens. And for me, you know, studying the Bible, I wanted to maybe go into ministry and maybe I didn't know if I wanted to be a pastor or a communicator. But kind of going through that was unbelievably painful um, because the, the faith that I was so passionate about and the God that I really seemed to know, all of a sudden I was introduced to all these questions that just didn't have answers anymore. And not like the you know, why does evil exist in a bad world? It was, I'm, I'm looking at this book that I had, I, you know, I really had believed, you know, God had spoken, and all of a sudden I'm heartbroken because I don't know if I can trust God. You know, especially all this emotion seemed to be very temporary. Um, all this kind of faith talk, it just seemed to be, I felt like this hamster spinning on a wheel and nothing seemed to make sense. And maybe some of you in this room kind of feel that way, and maybe you're sitting silently in these seats just smiling because your spouse or some, your, your family and you don't want to have to actually be honest about where you are. But this is where I was. And, and I just ha had all of this doubt to the point where when I was 21 years old, um, I lost my faith completely, it felt like. And I, I, didn't even, I wouldn't have even been able to admit that or be honest with that in my own life at the time um, because that was too terrifying to say. But I felt like I lost my faith. Um, you know, I, I really stopped praying. I stopped reading my Bible. Um, I stopped really connecting with God the, the way that I really always wanted to. And um, it was kind of in this, this season where I was just really bitter. And of course, you know, I had a few failed relationships, and my kind of dreams of having um, this perfect marriage that my, my parents never had. I was actually the opposite. I was a terrible boyfriend. I was very angry and very just, you know, and then of course I'm in this faith crisis, and I was, and, and maybe for some of us that's just a compartment of our life, but for, for me at the, at the time, just kind of so you know where I was at, though, it was like my whole future was totally interrupted. Like my whole future, it was like I was going to give my life to God. Like this is the higher purpose that I was living for. Like I wanted to be this person to represent and embody God and Jesus on the earth. Like I wanted that so bad. I wanted something real. I didn't want to, like that was the cry of my heart. And I was just seeking God so purely only to get totally heartbroken. And so all of a sudden now I'm like, well, God, I don't know. I don't believe that you did this to me, but I was so pure in my intention. Why would you ever allow this to happen to me? Like in your perfect power, like why would you ever allow like the destruction of this kind of, like I was just seeking you. I was doing everything right. I was so holy. I was so like blameless. And of course now I'm all broken. And it kind of sent me into doing everything that I never thought I would do and kind of partying and living this life. And, and it just kind of all rejected. And I, you know, fell away from my faith. And, um, you know, 
it was kind of over the course of time, um, and, this is, and this is embarrassing, I hate admitting this, but this is real life. But like, it was kind of the summer of 2013, and you know, I, I got hired on staff at Kensington doing kids ministry, and uh, by all accounts was like, you know what, I just have to choose God. You know, none of my questions were answered. I felt like I couldn't talk to anybody about it. And so I struggled intellectually and emotionally with my faith and just did it anyways um, to, to, to try it out. And I got to a point where over the course of time, God began to reveal himself to me. Now, I, I, I would say that many times kind of in this process, I believed in my heart that I would never have freedom again. Like never again, because I was so permanently broken so permanently defective. And maybe, maybe for you it's not doubt, but maybe for you it's actually shame. And like your past and your, your past actions or the way that you treat other people. Uh, you know, just something in your life. You feel so permanently defective. Like there's something wrong with you that you just can't fix. You're permanently broken. And that's how I felt. Is like I, I, I watched God do supernatural things that kind of brought me back to be like, God, all right, I'm, I'm going to choose you. Then I, I began to investigate intellectually for my own purposes and over like the course of a few years after really choosing God again, I, I had to grieve the pain and I had to really lose, uh, I, I had to, to let what I, my ideal of a, of a walk with Jesus, I had to let that die so that something new could be born and, and this new faith uh, in Jesus and hopefully kind of beginning to trust him and what, what was this blind faith before I had all the certainty and now I'm only operating out of faith at this point. And I can stand before you confidently and tell you that after like five years, um, I believe in my heart that I, I am like 100% free and have peace of mind of where I am because in that process, I really had to learn to choose God. But I will say that I know there are some of us who are in the middle of these storms that you believe in your heart because I did for years. It's not like one week. It's not like you had a bad Sunday. It's like you had a bad years of life, a bad decade of life. And, and it's, it's like, you know, and Christians always have Bible verses. It's like, let me just throw a ninja star at your face because that really, you know. It's like I want someone to listen to like what is really going on in my life sometimes. It's, and that's if you're really in the deep uh, weeds of pain. And well, what I realized is that I had so much unforgiveness in my heart towards God for what I felt like he allowed to happen in my life. And I didn't see a purpose inside of it. And I don't understand why he would interrupt my life in such a powerful way. And um, so many of us, we hold on to something. We're holding on to an interruption. And so we hold it in our hands and say, well, God, I'm going to hold on to this event. I'm going to hold on to this person, this failed relationship. I'm going to hold on to these finances in this way. I'm going to hold on to this version of faith that I have found in you. And I'm holding on to it until you intervene and show me differently. And so we think we're in the power seat holding on to this thing, but I'm, I'm here to tell you, I came to announce that what you're holding on to is actually holding on to you. That you are not holding, we are not holding on to anything, but rather it's actually holding on to you. It's keeping you from actually experiencing freedom. And here's how I know this, is because the thing that you're holding on to, you are not holding on to it in hope of it changing. With this anticipation of God, I believe and I trust. You're not holding on to it in hope of freedom. You're holding on to it in hate of what you think it should be. You're holding on to it in hate and bitterness and you're keeping your cards close to your chest with God and saying, God, I'm not gonna move until you intervene on my behalf because what if you hurt me? So I need you to do the heavy lifting. But what I find is, is that 
God is a God who's constantly drawing us to learn how to choose him even when we don't feel like it, to learn how to draw ourselves unto him, to seek and we shall find that he's actually inside of this mystery, in this, in this seeming blindness. And, but, but here's what I think so for so many of us, if we're really hung up on it, when life's interruptions result in bitterness, we end up staying in unforgiveness. And the price of freedom is letting go and maybe forgiveness towards God. Maybe it's forgiveness towards someone else. Forgiveness towards yourself. Forgiveness to God. Just forgiving yourself. And, and that's the, the price. And for so many of us, maybe we begin to shame ourselves for all the wounds. We shame ourselves, well, I, sh- I really should be getting over this, or I shouldn't be here in this stage of life. This has happened for so long. But here's what happened. Uh, here's what I said. Is that if pain happens over time, Forgiveness can't just happen one time. If pain is never isolated to one singular moment because it happens over time, then why are we trying to isolate forgiveness to one? Is it so many of us think that forgiveness is like a debit card? If you have a debit card, you, you pull it out of your pocket and you swipe the card, and what happens? It's a one time subtraction from your bank account. And you think forgiveness is just a one time swipe of a debit card when really it's not a one time subtraction. It's a reoccurring transaction. You get a monthly bill of unforgiveness that you have to pay off. And for some of us, it's accumulating interest because we've neglected it. And it's going into like forbearance if we've never touched it. Is that forgiveness needs to happen over time, this constant surrendering, this constant death that almost needs to take place in our life. And I felt like for so many of us, we need to actually grieve and mourn the loss of that which is so painful. Um, I love how Jesus says, talks about forgiveness. He's like, man, even if you're doing the most holy act of worship in the temple of God, and, and he talks about if you're going on the altar to present your sacrifice to God, which the, the common person would rarely do, usually as the priests, he says, I want you to leave that place and go make reconciliation with your brother because here's why. Forgiveness is not just because I need you to forgive your brother. It's because forgiveness is for your benefit. So some of us are over here drinking poison, hoping that someone else dies. Or maybe we're hoping that God will, we're drinking poison, hoping that God is just going to show up instead of actually being faithful to him in the process. So um, about a year ago, uh, my mother and I, or my mother was visiting town, and we went to Michael's, as you do with your mother, um, <laughs> and we're running some errands, and uh, we, we kind of, uh, it was like freezing cold, it was like January, so we run back to the car. Now, I am a cautious driver, my wife hates my cautious driving, you know, I'll drive under the speed limit, shout out to all the safe people in the house, no texting, hey. Uh, and so for me, I just love, uh, you know, uh, driving cautiously, and, you know, I'm always just very aware of my surroundings. I hate jerking the car, that kind of thing, you know, shout out to my dad's in the house, you know, nice and smooth ride. Um, but uh, I, I, I had my, you know, my foot slowly on the brake, and I just, I just eased off of it, just slowly into reverse. I mean, it, was, it wasn't too fast, but it was, it was good enough, and all of a sudden, just boom, boom, and I, I just got surprised. And um, I looked, and some guy had hit my car twice. He's like, hey! And I looked, my, we looked around, and we were just, you know, we are kind of frightened and stuff. And homeboy had snapped. I mean, it wasn't like, oh, I just lost my temper for a moment. Homeboy snapped. He went from zero to 100 real quick. And it, he was like, hey, that's my kid! that's my kid. And I was like, what? I, I, I was just kind of like surprised. So I just looked at him. You kind of just get paralyzed and, and fear, of course. And you look at him and he's, and he's just angry. And he like is coming towards me. And I'm just sitting over here like feeling so innocent towards what happened. And it ruined me for the rest of the day, you know? Like, I'm a millennial, man. I don't like confrontation. 
my feelings were hurt. I needed an encouragement coach to come in and tell me what I was doing good. And so I was just wrecked for the rest of the day. And honestly, so every single time, what's my message? I needed my prop. Every single time I see a rear view mirror, I think about, that's my kid. I'll be like pulling out and I'll just be seeing him. That's my kid. That's my kid. And so this serves as this reminder. And I feel like so many of us, man, we're holding on to that event that happened and we're looking backwards into that past and that event in our season of our life. And we just are so hung up on it that we can't let it go. You know, oh man, that person cut me off or man, this happened or God really let me down or I just feel so bitter. And maybe it's a major season, but here's what I would say. It's just so many of us are so focused on the event in the past that we forgot about the big future that God has for us. That so many of us, I would say this, that the window of God's future is much bigger than the reflection of your past. Come on, is there anybody in Grumlaw Church who believes it today? That I came to tell you that I believe that God will work all things together to the, uh, for the good of those who love him. That what man has intended for evil, I don't know who I'm preaching to today. That God will work it together for good. And I, I like, it's, it's, I'm not here to tell you and promise you and say, man, here's the outcome that God's going to give you. He's going to do all of these things so perfectly, so right. It's going to just make all this sense. But instead, I, I believe that it's in the process of just understanding the future that God has for you, that opening yourself up to the possibility of what if God decided to actually change that in your life. And I would even argue this, that so many times we think that freedom with Christ looks like perfection. Like, oh, it's the time where I'm never gonna fail again. It's the time where I'm, I'm gonna have this perfect life and I'm gonna have this faith that I always imagine. It's gonna be the time when I have this season or this family that I always imagine. It's not about having perfection. Rather, it's about having life. It's that when you choose to surrender to Jesus and, and look at the past, it may not feel the same, it may not look the same, but instead you get to have life in the process. You actually get to experience a peace of mind because you've committed to Jesus with full faith even when it's hard, even when you are afraid. For so many of us, we look to our future and we're terrified of what God has for us in the future. And so Mary, I love this because coming back to our story, the angel begins to, to talk about how this is going to happen. She, I mean, if you remember, she's talking about, man, well, I'm a virgin. I don't know how God's going to be able to bring me through this. And then the angel tells her, um, that, you know, of course, he's going to have the Messiah. It says this, and the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, that Jesus will be holy. He will live a sinless life. He will die on a cross, sinless, and receive the, the sin of all the world so that all of us can uh, receive righteousness in Christ. And he says, for nothing will be impossible with God. That nothing that God can do is impossible. And here's Mary's response to this. Because I think so many of us, we don't know how to respond to God, even in the middle of his promises, as he's interrupting our, our life's plans for the purpose. And she says, I am the Lord's servant. I am the Lord's servant. May everything that you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. As I think for some of us, we need to get low with God. And here's why. Because you cannot fall off of the floor is that there's something that when you get so low and you eliminate all of your expectations and you begin to serve God humbly from a place of having no expectations, but saying, I am the Lord's servant, all you can get, all you can do is gain. And I think for so many of us, because we have desires in this life and we think money, security, 
a person will bring me happiness. We use those as the criteria for a life that's blessed by God. What if a life blessed by God isn't about things, but about serving him? What if you find yourself being more, more, more blessed because of the way that you serve? That's what I love what she's talking about with generosity, is that generosity isn't just for Grumlaw, it's actually for you. It's for your heart. It's for you. Like, I love this analogy. It's like a river that's running through. It's like, if all you have is a river that just collects and collects and collects, you become a swamp. If you have a river that just runs right through, it's, it's clean and able to be, you know, drank by many. I think the same thing is so true of what it means to serve the Lord and to serve other people. Jesus, he flips everything up suddenly and says the, only, the most important two things is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love other people. It's, it's, it's this giving away of our life to God in a sense. And I love, I love this because I think many of us, we look at these interruptions as inconvenient, but I believe that God is using interruptions as invitations. That's an invitation into the different purpose that God has for your life that maybe threw you off course. But inside of God's purpose, it's not that you'll be perfect. It's that you'll have life. It's that you'll be able to experience the fullness of him in a new way, in a new perspective that you never had before. Like I can look back on my life and say, you know what? That was unbelievably painful. I suffered in silence and my bones wasted away inside of me. I never would ever think that God could ever possibly redeem that season of my life. I'm even still wondering that now. But I do know this, is that I am able to love people better. I'm able to have empathy more. I'm able to not judge anybody for what they're going through because I know what's happened in my life. Who in here is thankful that we have a God that doesn't judge us for what we've done, but he understands us, that he's taken on the sin of the world to free us. Like, do you really think that God is surprised by sin when billions of people have committed the same sin over the course of history for all this time, like you're especially evil for what you're going through. He's like, no, no, no. I just understand that when you stay on my path, I get you in relational intimacy. It's like, it's like I have guardrails for you because I know where life is and life is when you connect with me and all outside of this, man, you're not gonna experience life. Life is inside of loving me and loving other people well. I love what Jesus says. He talks about invitations all the time and uh, in, in, in two different stories. As a rabbi, he's a teacher. And he tells us one story of a king who throws a great banquet and many invitations are given out and it represents Israel and the Bible. And, he, and, and, and all the people reject the invitation of this king who's holding this great feast where there's dancing and celebration and feasting and life. And, and the invitations get sent out and then people make excuses and they're like, oh, you know, I got all this oxen, you know. I gotta try them out. Literally, that's in the, it's in the Bible. You can read it. And then other people are like, Oh, you know, I just got married. And other people are like, bro, I just got Fortnite, bro. I'm like killing it right now. <laughs> and they make excuses. And what happens is when people made excuses, the king refused them. So the king said, I'll tell you, they're not going to get a taste of my banquet if they reject my invitation. And I tell you, go out, get the poor, the crippled, the lame, anybody who wants to say yes. It's opening it up to the Gentiles, to the world, to anybody who wants to say yes to the invitation of God. It is open. And there's a different version of the story Jesus tells where a man comes in who didn't who wasn't dressed. And he says, sir, where's your clothes? And he goes, well, I, I didn't come prepared. And he goes, well, throw them out into the outer courts because, and he says this, for many are called, but few are chosen. Is that I believe that some of us have, maybe we, we've said yes to the invitation, but we never changed our clothes. We never lived our life in the manner of our yes. As if there's some of us have a calling in our life 
to, to lay it down for the cause of Christ, for the plan that God has for us. And we said yes to God and we said yes to the invitation, but we never changed our clothes. We never reoriented our life. We never really submitted down to, to change our clothes into the righteousness that Jesus offers for us and lay it down to come to the feast where there's life. That many are invited. And the criteria, it appears from these two passages of the people who are, are number one, people who just say yes, number one. And number two, people who reorient their life around Jesus and his lordship is to say yes and to make your yes, the yes, and the invitation where there is a lot of fear, where there's a lot of uncertainty. Have you ever realized that when you get an invitation, the details are abundantly clear? For some of us in here, we have a calling from God. He's inviting us into something and you already know exactly what it is. You know he's calling you to love this people group. You know he's calling you to serve deeper at Grumlaw, to love deeper at Grumlaw. And yet you're just sitting here being like, oh man, I got these oxen. <laughs> oh man, I got all these oxen I got to try out. And you're just kind of sitting there. An invitation, you always know where the place is, what time it is. But a lot of the unfolding of the event is what's the mystery of the plan. And so when it comes to saying yes to the invitation of God and thinking about Mary and her story of saying yes, the outcome is God's responsibility and obedience is ours. The outcome of whatever happens belongs to God and the obedience is ours. The faithfulness to press in even when we don't understand, when we don't know. And it's okay to be honest about your fear. Um, and here's what I'd say about outcomes because I know there's some of us and I, I was told this, but to never underestimate the pain in the room. Because I know some of us are sitting in seasons where it's been years and, uh, you know, it's easy to come in here and, I don't know, just be at church. Um, but I, I was teaching um, one weekend at our Orion campus and uh, I was talking about sharing our faith and how we need to go save the world and, and this one volunteer comes up and like, oh my gosh, I was so inspired. I need you to come talk to this kid. And I was like, I'm a pastor. I have to do it now, <laughs> you know? Uh, I felt like, oh, okay, this is a, an, it was, I mean, it was my own version of an interruption of, because I could tell it was going to require a lot of work. And she begins to tell me the story in the context. And she goes, yeah, there's this young guy and uh, he's actually, um, he has throat cancer right now. Um, his younger brother a few years earlier had ended his own life. And now his parents are only left with him. And he is on within months of like living or dying. And so for whatever reason, he is interested in having a conversation about God and he has no church background. He's actually kind of a militant atheist, is my words. He's a militant atheist. He doesn't really believe, but he's open to having conversations for whatever reason. And I saw you up there and I just thought you would be great to talk with him. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I, I would love to talk with him. I go to Detroit, I go in his hospital room and I mean, he's just got like kind of tumors everywhere and he can hardly speak. They did reconstructive tongue surgery on him and his parents are obviously a mess. They don't even know how to handle it. And I get in a conversation with this guy and I start trying to explain to him just the basics of faith and the gospel and what it all means. And he's just challenging everything I say. And he's like, really? Like one God, but there's three and there's G, like what? I don't understand. And he was just challenging. And I was like, man, it doesn't, it doesn't seem like he wants to have this. And he goes to the bathroom and I was with a friend and I was like, we just need to listen. We just need to like love him. And so I began to ask him like, so like what, you know, what are you like, what are you looking for? Are you looking for someone to kind of go toe to toe? And he was like, no, honestly, not really. I just want to know what it's like because I, I want to know, I want to, I want to be able to believe in this God, um, but I, I don't know how. 
And the only reason, and this is his, what happened with him, I'm not making a claim, I'm just saying this is what happened to him. The, the reason why he wanted to have a conversation about faith in the first place is because he went into septic shock one day. And when he went into septic shock, he believed he saw what appeared to be a, a, a vast darkness and kind of forms and figures of hands. And it was dark and it was scary. And he was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to do my diligence. And that's what he believed. I'm not making claims. I'm just saying that's what he believed he saw. And, and, and when he came out, he's like, I need to have this conversation about faith. And, and I was like, okay. And so I just stayed in communication with him. And over the course of time, like I went over to his house and, and we prayed with him and he finally, or he finally felt like he experienced God. And so we, you know, we went over again to his house and, and finally, we had this conversation. He's like, I don't know where I stand. I'm like, bro, I'm going to be honest with you. Like he was about to do a treatment that was either going to like end his life on the spot or was going to give him like permanent freedom. And um, I was like, either bro, like you're going to make this decision and make peace or you're not. And it was so real. And he gives his life to Christ on the spot. And he's like, God, I invite you to my house. I want to get to know you. I don't want you to just be on the outside. And I want to know you. And he just felt like this overwhelming sense of peace. And he's like, man, I just feel like I really made my peace. And while the treatment didn't end his life, he died on Christmas, on Christmas Day. Um, and I share that to say, some of us, man, we don't know the outcome. And I'm not going to claim that the outcome is always going to be this outcome that we want to have. And I'm not saying that this all happened so that he gives his life to Jesus, but I believe that God used it. I believe he used it for where it was to bring him a son back unto himself. But the outcome, we can begin to trust in faith in God and then be faithful in the process in the middle of the mystery. Because here's what I'd say. Even if you don't get the outcome you're looking for, in the middle of the mystery, you get discovery. In the mystery of pain, you get the discovery of his presence. Because even if you don't get the thing, the person, the outcome you want, at least you get the best thing if you're faithful and it's him. It's getting God himself. It's getting his presence and sweet intimacy. It's about experiencing life and what it's like to trust even when you don't understand when the outcome is completely 100% uncertain. So um, you might think uh, as a teacher that I hear from God and um, when I'm in these prayer closets and uh, candles are lit and snot's flying. Um, but I was watching an episode of Grey's Anatomy one day. And, uh, and uh, I, I was watching this show in the most profound way that God has spoken to me. In fact, it actually became my, my anthem for the year 2018. But there's a scene in the show where um, the bad boy Dr. Karev is treating a patient and the patient's uh, wife is going into labor and she could pass in the surgery. And uh, this guy's freaking out and he looks at Dr. Karev and he's like, I mean, what if she dies? I don't know how to be a dad. And Dr. Karev, who has no father growing up, he gives the most profound insight as he develops throughout the show. The once bad boy becomes now the good guy. And he says, oh man, it's just easy. All you gotta do is show up. And I was, I was like struck. I was like, God, you better not to be speaking to me right now in Grey's Anatomy. But that struck me because I think for so many of us, we're so good at performing for God. We come to connect with God and we feel like we need to give this performance. We feel like we need to be something. 
But showing up is not just about bringing our physical body to church or bringing our physical body to a place of aloneness where we can pray with God or bringing ourselves to prayer in the middle of our workplace. It's not just about showing up physically. It's about showing up with who you are, where you are at that moment. That it's okay to have fear and to be honest with God about it. There's something about fear that prevents us from touching burning stoves. But it's not okay for it to be a source of our life, to be run by it. So it says, fear not. But for some of us, we're faking our time with God because we're not actually showing up. That when you show up with God, it removes the burden of needing to express all of this love for God and be formal, Lord of the seven Sabbaths. Like, you don't talk to your dad that way. So you show up and bring who you are. And it removes expectation. And so I would say this, is that I believe that God is inviting us, number one, into the death of our own expectations. As there's some of us in here, we need to get on the floor and we need to get low because you can't fall off of the floor. Only the expectations about what God's gonna do and what people are gonna do and how we're gonna be fulfilled and our expectations need to die. And some of us, I love how Brene Brown puts it, she says, we need to be holding funerals and burials for the things that we had lost. We need to be holding a funeral of our expectations. We need to have a burial and a funeral for the, for the trust we had in another human being. We need to have a funeral for our, our need to be right all of the time. So not only do we need to have a death of our own expectations, I believe that God is calling us to the death of ourselves when it comes to our fear. Paul says, I love you. He goes, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but he who lives in me. Is that when it comes to belonging to Jesus, the call is to die, to be crucified with Christ and to, to go through our own death because here's what happens. Even as Abraham is up on the mountain, he's a story and he's a figure in the Old Testament and he goes and brings his one and only son. The, God stops him from sacrificing his one and only son who had been promised and said, hold on, now I know that you what? You fear me that you have reverence and respect for me because you did not withhold your one and only son from me. And I imagine God the Father is in eternity looking down at Abraham, but looking at his one and only son. Now I know that you fear me because you are not willing to withhold your one and only son from me. Because whenever we have a death that happens, that even our heavenly Father, there is a death that needed to take place in order for our forgiveness. That for some of us, we need to experience a death for the forgiveness of God, for the forgiveness of others, for the forgiveness of ourselves. Because when you have a death, there is always a resurrection right around the corner. That God brings dead things back to life in ways you never thought. That you don't need to get hung up on your past, but the future that God has for you. And that's what he's inviting you into. That may be this interruption, and you may not discover the purpose for a long time if you feel that. But my encouragement is to be faithful fast faithfully and fast by showing up and not having to be someone, not having to play the church game with God, but bringing yourself.